American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Tuesday. Welcome to episode 116 of History for Jerks presents American, American Timelines. Timeline. I'm Amy, and that's Joe. And I'm Normal Bargava. And this is, um, I guess, another day and another podcast. It's another podcast from quarantine in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. We apologize. We didn't put out a new episode last week. We just we never it, got around to it. Well, we our whole upstairs of our house was being redecorated pretty oh, much. Oh, yeah, that's so. right. So our podcast studio was filled with furniture. Yes, that's right. Also... We didn't get around to it. Nope, that's true, Like too. it, You know, it's hard. Like, we're all going through some stuff together yes. as a country and as a world. Yeah. And hang in there. Be nice to each other. We apologize to all of you who are having trouble. Mm-hmm. To all of you who have lost your job. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll get through this and you'll have a job when it comes through. Uh, hopefully you can take a little solace in this podcast, this little silly, goofy podcast called American Timelines. Right. If you like it and it for some reason makes you happy because Amy tells you about other people's horrible suffering or <laughs> you laugh at my inability to make any sense, then I'm glad. Yep. And okay. thank you. So Please t- wear a mask. Yes. God damn it. Yes. Anyway. Just- yeah. So we left off last episode. Uh, there's one thing before we get into this one, we talked about, you know, beginning of 1969 in January and I ended up with talking about the Beatles rooftop concert and right. I was kicking myself for not, there's a bunch of stuff about that rooftop yeah. concert and I couldn't remember what it was and I didn't look it up and blah, blah, blah. So I really quickly, I found this link, uh, at rollingstone.com, uh, an article about the uh, Beatles famous rooftop concert, 15 things you didn't know by Jordan Runtag. Uh, so I'll just quickly go through some of the things we didn't know. Okay. Um, and if you care, tell me to talk more about it. If not, let's move on. Okay. Uh, the concert was originally going to take place in an ancient amphitheater or on a cruise ship or in the desert. Okay. Uh, the film of it is directed by the secret son of Orson Welles, allegedly. Okay. The microphones were wrapped in women's pantyhose. I think because it was so cold. Yeah. Uh, it was their first live performance in over two years. Mm-hmm. George Harrison's guitar was the first of its kind. John Lennon needed cue cards to remember his own lyrics because it had been so long. Uh, yeah, you'd be worried you're going to mix it up or something. Yep. Well, and he, he just couldn't remember because they didn't play live anymore, yeah. remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, the police weren't as bad as they've been made out to be, according to these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, police stopping everybody. Yeah. Uh, the set list may have ended up being longer. I don't know what that means. That means Billy Preston received the only official Beatles co-credit. The site of the rooftop concert is now a children's Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, God. I always wonder what it is now. It's the last sound you hear on the Beatles' final release. Uh, 
this rooftop concert. I think that's it. Was that 15 things? Yeah. And then, you know, here's just something that nobody talks about. At the end of every article you see online now, mm-hmm. why is there eight clickbait things that are like oh, yeah. stupid crap and why do I click on them sometimes? Like I know. Like there's a picture of some woman in a bathing suit. It's like she never got married and now we know why. And it makes you want to click on it or it's like, it's like what do boys. these what do these eighty stars look like now? And yes. I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta see what Tootie yeah. looks like. It's a modern tabloid. And then I click it, I'm like, I could have just Googled what Tootie looks like. Why do I have to click that? Well and who gives a shit what Tootie looks like? It's I a do bigger Ki- question. Now now we're talking about Kim Fields. Mm-hmm. She looks great. Have I mentioned yeah, this? She probably does. She looks fabulous. Tootie is the all of them. You know, it's you look back at what they one. all look like now. Yeah. She looks great. Like I want to be. Is um, with Kim Mindy Field. still alive? From work and Mindy? No, Mindy. Mindy Cohn. Yeah. Who played Natalie? Yes. I think so. And I think she looks old like anybody would yeah. be. And but I did hear that Blair Lisa mm-hmm. Welchel mm-hmm. was on Survivor or something recently, or was trying oh. to be on Survivor. Anyway, it was kind of forward thinking of them to put a chubby girl in there. Hmm. I don't know if they did it on purpose. And they ended up... Because remember, they were kids, and then they grew up. Like, there was a lot more of them when they were kids, the first season. Yeah, but season. I think she's the one that lost her virginity, I think. Natalie was? I think so. You're probably right. And it was forward thinking to have a lesbian. Right, which they Joe. never said. But I don't think she was. She had a boyfriend, so yeah. she wasn't supposed to be a lesbian. But she sure was. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> she should have been. <laughs> yeah. Her and Velma. Velma's not a lesbian. Oh, sure she is. Did they hint at that? I feel like it. Oh, well. Anyway, we finished January, so we we left off, I think, at the beginning of February. Oh, and Leather Tuscadero. That's the third one that I always felt. Is she a lesbian, too? That's how I always felt. And she beat up. Did she bang Fonzie? I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, back then in the 80s and the 70s. Lesbians were always banging dudes, like because mm-hmm. they couldn't say they were lesbians. Anyway, February first, nineteen sixty nine, Tommy James and the Shondells took over the number one spot in the Billboard charts with "Crimson and Clover." I love that song. Do you love that song? Yeah. Um, and the very next day was a Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, February second, the Burdell Man- Mansion Commune. You heard of that? The Bur- Burdell Mansion Commune. Nope. Home at one time to members of the Grateful Dead rock band mm-hmm. and later to more than 50 hippies who called their group the Chosen Family was destroyed by an electrical fire. Oh. Decades later, California state archaeologists archaeologists would excavate the ruins to study the hippie culture. Did they really? Yeah. That's funny. Boris Karloff died on the same day. And then Monday, February 3rd, 1969, an airplane was hijacked to Cuba, mm-hmm. but the passengers didn't think it was real because they saw candid camera creator Alan Funt on oh board. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Funt and his wife and his two youngest children boarded Eastern Airlines Flight 7 in Newark, New Jersey. Well, he must have known it was real. With a desti- he was the only one with a destination of Miami, Florida. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, while en route, two men hijacked the plane and demanded passage to Cuba. However, some of the passengers, having spotted Funt, believed the whole thing to be a candid camera stunt. I bet that would so be funny. easy on them. Like, they wouldn't be so nervous. Yeah. Oh, it's just candid, oh, it's camera. Just candid camera. Oh, we're going to be on TV. Hey, Bob, it's just candid camera. 
Funt repeatedly attempted to persuade his fellow passengers as to the reality of the hijacking, but to no avail. The plane landed later in Cuba, finally convincing the passengers. Funt and others were later released after 11 hours of being held captive. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Isn't that a funny thing that happened? I mean... I can't imagine. I can't believe the number of hijackings that were. It was a huge about. thing back then. Yeah, like that was a thing. Like everybody, because you couldn't. I guess you it couldn't. Was common. Yeah, and you know we talked about that a couple episodes. But ago. I guess like, the I difference why. is they didn't ever. We had all these hijackings, but they never purposely crashed into something to no, kill. No, they, were, a they bunch just of needed people. to get to Cuba. They were, they were yeah. trying to get there for free. Yeah, you know? or get there. You know, but I that's I, I'm like in thinking like, well, how come the the airport laws didn't change like then, but it's really because those hijackings weren't meant to kill people. They just wanted to. It was them. more pain in the ass. Yeah. Like you'd have to be, Oh no, we got to stay here for a couple of days. We're all rerouted. Plus they, they talked about it. Like, let's change the things. And they were like, no way can you ever like the airline industry was too new. And they were like, that will ruin business. Nobody will fly anymore if they have to go through all this bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so they were wrong. That's what we talked about a couple episodes ago. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Remember I talked about that and they were going to, they said, well, instead, let's make that fake airport and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But yeah. They, anyway, uh, that brings us to February 4th. It was a Tuesday of 1969. The derailment of the Trichinopoly to Madras Express train in India killed 25 people and injured another 25. Nearly all the victims had been non-paying passengers riding on the roof of the train. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So people, you know, India, they just. Tons of people must have just jumped yeah. on trains all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's then, just so many people there. There's a lot of people in Windia. Wednesday, February. Windia. Wednesday, February 5th, 1969. Uh, a new sketch comedy show on ABC called Turn On mm-hmm. uh, premiered from the creators of NBC's popular Laughing. Uh, it was at 8.30 p.m. in the Eastern Time for its first and only episode. One television station in Cleveland took the show off the air after the first commercial break. And stations in Portland and Seattle refused to air it after learning the reaction in the earlier time zones. Mm-hmm. Enough viewers and ABC station owners were offended by the show and its cancellation was announced two days later. That same day that Turn On was started and was canceled, Bobby Brown, American R&B singer, born in... Where was he born? Bobby Brown? New York. Boston. Oh. How was I supposed to know that? New edition. Aren't they all from Boston? I don't know. Oh. And that brings us to... I thought they're from Philadelphia. That's... You think of boys to men. Oh. Racist. Friday, February 7th, 1969, <laughs> Diane Crump of Woodmont, Connecticut, became the first woman jockey to ride a racehorse in American competition. With odds 50 to 1 on the horse, bridle in bit, bridle in bit, 19-year-old Crump finished 10th in a field of 12 in the seventh race that day at Florida's Hialeah Racetrack near Miami. I don't understand why they didn't use women before. I mean, they're so much lighter. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people felt like women can't do anything yeah. except cry. Pretty much, cook and cry and cook shit and cry out babies, and bleed and shit up, poop out babies. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there was the whole thing about like women can't do anything. Like, yeah. Women. Our property, they can't vote. I think it's that. still bad. Like yeah. I, we we had a black man president before we had a woman president. That's like true. sometimes I wonder what's which one is worse. Which we had a gay man too, James Buchanan. Well, he was, but he nobody knew, right? I think 
then, back then, that was so long ago that people didn't care. Like, they're like, so what? Gay people are everywhere. Who cares? No. Everybody knew. They all called him Aunt Nancy. Really? Yeah. I think they just thought it was a joke or something. No, they all knew it. I don't think they... They weren't as homophobic. Because well, nobody, nobody wanted rights or anything. Oh, that's You know what I mean? Changed. Like, nobody lived as that. They just... You just kept it... Everybody's kept it a secret, I think. Yeah, well, maybe. You just don't talk about it. All right. I think. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I didn't live around in the 1800s. Maybe... Maybe everybody didn't know. I don't know. Tuesday, February 11th, 1969, U.S. President Nixon called for a war on organized crime, requesting Congress to pass laws allowing confiscation of mafia assets, including any funds traced to criminal activity. The result would be the passage of the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970. That same day, Jennifer Aniston was born. Your favorite actress. It took until 1969 for them to do that? Apparently. Huh. Because people probably just let organized crime go before that. Don't you think? Well, you had Elliot Ness and stuff. That's true. That was in the... 30s, I think. Was it? I don't know. Thursday, February 13th, 1969. African-American students staged simultaneous protests on college campuses across the U.S. as part of the Black Campus Movement, the BCM. An author would later write that if there was a day, or the day, that black campus activists forced the racial reconstruction of higher education, it was February 13, 1969. Hmm. It was like no other day in the history of black higher education. This day had been in the making for more than 100 years and changed the course of higher education for decades to come. Well, that's good. Yeah. That was my mom's 18th birthday. Oh, there you go. Uh... And then on Tuesday, February 18, 1969, all 35 passengers and crew on board Hawthorne Nevada Airlines Flight 708 were killed after the DC-8 plane crashed on the side of Mount Whitney shortly after taking off from Hawthorne, Nevada. 32 passengers had spent the previous day at the El Capitan Casino and were returning to Long Beach, California. The wreckage of the Gambler Special would not be located until August 8th. Boom. February 20th, 1969 was a Thursday. U.S. President Richard M. Nixon asked Congress to begin the process of abolishing the Electoral College with a proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution to be considered by the states. God, I wish they would have done that. Nixon, who said that the American presidential voting system once again requires overhaul to repair defects spotlighted by the circumstances of 1968, suggested that the amendment take the form of either dividing each state's electoral votes in a manner that may more closely approximate the popular vote in the state or that popular vote winner be declared president as long as he or she had gotten at least 40% of the vote. If no candidate won at least 40%, the top two vote-getters would face each other in a runoff election. I don't know why they didn't end up doing it. Why didn't they do that? Yeah. God. We wouldn't have that jackasses we did because it's we so, wouldn't have had bush yeah w I mean, either. they did the electoral college because we didn't have newspapers and instant news mm-hmm. you know you had no way to know the people yeah you know what i mean now right. we have all this stuff it's well and it was to outdated. ensure that dangerous people didn't become president but yeah. it obviously and doesn't do that it now. doesn't do that now like we've got one now yeah and it's, now it's the opposite it's to it's to be able to manip- manipulate things. yeah so it's terrible um and then on uh, Thursday, February 27th, 1969, one of the least successful Broadway productions, but seriously, opened at Henry Miller's Theater. Despite a cast that included Richard Dreyfus and Tom Poston, 
Tom Poston is the greatest actor of all, of all time. And the authorship of Academy Award winning screenwriter Julius Epstein, mm-hmm. who won the Oscar for Casablanca, the play had its fourth and final performance on Saturday, March 1st. It would be the last Broadway play to be staged at Henry Miller's Theater. Uh, and then Friday, February 28th, 1969, Sirhan Bashara Sirhan on trial in L.A. for the 68 murder of President Candidate Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy stood up in court shortly after the first defense witness began to testify after Supreme Court Judge Herbert V. Walker sent the jury out and allowed Sirhan to speak. The accused assassin said, At this time, I wish to withdraw my original plea of innocent and plead guilty on all counts. Yep. Then added on further questioning that I would will also ask to be executed. And that I believe it is my best interest. That is my prerogative. Oh, really? Judge Walker declined to accept the guilty plea along with Sirhan's request to fire the three attorneys who had volunteered to defend him. March 1st was a Saturday of 1969, and Frank Sinatra released his signature song, My Way, nearly three decades after he began his singing career. Oh, he just released it in 69? Yeah, did you know that? I didn't know. I thought it was older. Me too. I thought it was always around. I thought it always existed. (laughs) Just always. That same day, Jim Morrison, the lead singer for The Doors, performed a controversial rock concert. Oh, he had his dick out. And other alleged acts before 12,000 fans at the Dinner Key Auditorium in Miami. Yep. Three days later, a Miami court would issue warrants for his arrest on a felony charge of indecent exposure Mm -hmm. and five misdemeanor charges. Although by that time, he was no longer in Miami. Morrison would return to Miami to be arraigned on the criminal charges on November 9th and remain free after posting bond. Following 16 days of his testimony, Morrison would be found guilty of the incident exposure charge oh, of the indecent exposure charge on September 20th, 1970 and will be sentenced to six months in jail on a $500 fine, but would post bail while the case was on appeal. Morrison would die of heart failure on July 3rd, 1971 during the time the appeal was in progress. He had his dick out. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that? It's, I don't think it's on. I don't think it's on. Were you there? Videotaped. No, obviously not. Well, you're pretty old, so no offense. My mom saw him front row center. Did he have his dick out then? No, but she said it was. He was like, she didn't know who he was, and she, her friends just had tickets, so she went. Your mom's, your mom's never heard of Jim Morrison. It was at the very beginning of the Doors, oh. and she went to see them, and she said it was like Jello, like the way he moved was like, like Jello, like he's made of Jello, like yeah. Like he and he was real. Um, remember that charismatic, like. Remember that Jello. Pilot or an airplane that guy's made of jelly or, <laughs> cracking up like jelly and like a gel- I don't know what you're talking about. I don't either. Anyway, uh, that same day, Clay Shaw, the only person ever indicted for conspiracy in the assassination of JFK, yeah. was acquitted of all charges by a jury in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And. Javier Bardem was born, your favorite actor of all time. I don't Sunday, think. March 2nd, 1969, 11 spectators at a drag strip track were killed and more than 40 others injured when one of the race cars went out of control at a speed of 180 miles an hour. The car, a 1969 Chevy Camaro, crashed through a chain link, fe- chain link fence at the Yellow River Drag Racing Strip in Covington, Georgia. Whoa. That same day, Jack Murph the Surf Murphy, 
was sentenced to life imprisonment following his conviction on first-degree murder and the deaths of two people in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His co-defendant, Jack Griffith, was found guilty of second-degree murder and given a 45-year prison sentence. Under Florida law at that time, Murphy would be eligible for parole after seven years despite the life sentence, while Griffith would not be eligible for 15 years. Okay. Do you know those people? I don't know that one. No, I figured you knew them. Nope. <sighs> I'm skipping that. March 3rd, 1969 was a Monday. The U.S. Navy established the Navy Fighter Weapons School that was profiled in the 1986 film Top Gun at Naval Air Station Maramar. Top Gun's your favorite movie of all time. No, I've never seen it. Neither have I. And people get mad at me. And we've been ta- we've talked about it. We before. have, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Screw Tom Cruise. I just don't think I can do any more Tom Cruise movies. No, I know. Who are the Code Red? That's the only one I like. Uh, March 4th, 1969 was a Tuesday, and Chaz Bono was born as? Chastity Bono. Yes. Wednesday, March 5th, 1969, serial killer Tony Costa was arrested in Boston. An hour after police discovered he dismembered bodies of two 23-year-old women who had last been seen on January 24th. Women had had the misfortune of renting a room at a boarding house in Provincetown, where Costa had also been staying and had vanished minutes after the house proprietor had introduced them. At the time of Costa's arrest, police had found four bodies buried in the sand dunes of Cape Cod near Truro, Massachusetts. Wow. What about that one? Do you, have you done yeah, that one? Yeah, I don't know that one either. You don't know that one either? No. Man, you got so many murders, I'm just dropping murders on you, you left are. and You're dropping right. dropping mur- murder bombs. Dropping murder bombs, y'all. And I got a murder boner. That's weird. March 5th, 1969, according to HuffPost, Harvard University's Hasty Pudding Institute of 1770, a renowned social club for students, bestowed its Man of the Year award to comedian Bill Cosby in 1969. According to an L.A. Times UPI wire published on March 5th, 1969, Mm -hmm. recently uncovered by the Huffington Post, the comedian proposed changing the name of the annual honor to the Nice Guy As Far As We Know Award. Really? He said that back then when they gave that to him. Oh man! And now, yeah, now, yep, now yeah. we know why he said that because he was he was actively raping, raping people. people. Yeah, he said Whoa. you might want to call it the nice guy as far as we know award. <laughs> he thought nobody would ever catch him. Yeah, God, he was pompous about it. Little did he know. Yeah. Sunday, March ninth, nineteen sixty nine. Have you ever heard of the Shags? Nope. I don't think. The Shags, who are sisters Helen, Betty, and Dot Wiggin Mm -hmm. of Fremont, New Hampshire, made a studio recording of what would become the cult classic record album Philosophy of the World. It earned a place in pop music history as the world's worst rock band. Really? Yes. And I'm going to play this. Is it it really terrible? And yeah, um, copywriting be damned because this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And it, it was named as the worst rock album. Is the 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 worst rock, rock band. band like work? They are the world's worst rock band, <laughs> the Shags. Um. Why even track to be there? It's not even music. All the 
it's not, they can't even play instruments. They don't even have time. Like they're not. Yeah, it's even three women. It's like they don't know how to. I think they don't know how like to play. A, there's not even a beat. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's oh awful. My God. They're just like hitting things. It's awful. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, and online you can see there's like they still play now. They're old ladies and they still play sometimes. I think they do. <coughs> I saw them play. They were doing covers and I saw them somewhere online. But anyway. That's awful, and I don't know why that exists. I know. Uh, anyway, they're the Shags. Helen, Betty, and Dot Wigan of Fremont, New Hampshire. Um, March 10th, 1969 was a Monday. Mm-hmm. In Memphis, Tennessee, James Earl Ray pled guilty to assassinating Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. Historian. That same day, Mario Puzo's novel The Godfather was first distributed to booksellers by the publisher G.P. Putnam & Sons. Next, as March 12th, 1969, was a Wednesday, Paul McCartney became the last member of the Beatles to get married. Oh. As he and American photographer Linda Eastman participated in a morning civil ceremony at the registrar's office in London's Merylbone Mer- Mer- District. Uh, nailed it. Later the same day, fellow Beatle George Harrison and Harrison's wife Patty were arrested in a raid on their home at Escher, Surrey, on charges of possession of marijuana. The Harrisons posted bond and were released. And that same day, Jake Tapper was born. So think about that. Jake Tapper could no. be a marijuana love baby that was born during Paul McCartney's wedding and George Harrison's marijuana arrest. Jake okay. Tapper. From now on, every time we see Jake Tapper, boy, that guy was born on the day Paul McCartney got married to a lady with one leg. I'm going to kill myself. Didn't Linda have one leg? Linda McCartney, right? Is that what? right? Didn't Paul McCartney, his wife, have one leg? She died. She died, and I think his new girlfriend does. She has one leg? Yeah. One leg. All right. One love. Move it on. And then Saturday, March 15th, 1969, dude. Uh, Tommy Rowe takes over the number one spot in the Billboard charts with a song called Dizzy. Yeah. He's got a super hot girl dancing, like 60s style. I picture women in the 60s all just dancing like, like that. Like that, yeah. So look up this song on YouTube, Tommy Rowe Dizzy. Um, and that's what I think of all the 60s, is just women that look like that dancing like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that same day. Uh No, the very next day, on Sunday, March 16th, 1969, the Tony Award-winning musical 1776 opened on Broadway, beginning the first of 1,217 performances, all in one day. Yeah. Starring a cast led by William Daniels as John Adams and Howard De Silva as Benjamin Franklin, the production had music and lyrics by Sherman Helmsley. No. Sherman Edwards. And it, it, they weren't all, all those performances weren't one day. I know, so I know that. That was a Josh. That yeah. was joshing you. I'm aware of that. This just isn't working. Tuesday, March 18th, 1969, The Breakfast Club came movie came out. 
No. Oh, no. Operation Breakfast. Sorry. The covert bombing of Cambodia by U.S. planes began. That's a little different than the movie The Breakfast Mm, Club. Just a little. Slightly. Starring Judd Nelson and Judd Hirsch as the Judds. All right. Moving on. Moving on. That same day, Barbara Bates, an American film and TV actress, died by carbon monoxide suicide. You know who that is? No. I don't either, but she killed herself. Thursday, what else are you going to do? That's right. Thursday, March 20th, 1969. 69, dude. Metal detection devices were first used in American airports. Oh, finally. Just think about it. Before that, no metal detectors. No metal detectors. You just get on them. Bring whatever you want on the plane. Yep. Uh, The day after the Federal Aviation Administration demonstrated the device for news reporters, the detectors, which were originally silent and made so that passengers would be unaware that they were scanned as they walked through a gate, were tested in several Eastern Airlines terminals at airports later identified as John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York, Washington National Airport, Hartsfield International Airport in Atlanta, Miami International Airport, and Lambert Field in St. Louis. Mm. Eight That same day was eight days after Paul McCartney's wedding. John Lennon and Yoko Ono were married at Gibraltar and then proceeded to their honeymoon in Amsterdam, where starting on March 25th, they performed what they called a bed-in for mm-hmm. peace yep. for the duration of their stay. Now I know that. I don't think I knew that that was in Amsterdam. Did you? Is that well I known? Don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it was. I, I remember was, all the videos and pictures. I don't from know why it. I thought it was Canada. I thought I thought it was in the U.S. I didn't know it was in Amsterdam. It shows you how much I know. Yeah. Well, neither of us, neither of us are real swift. Well, that's true. <laughs> I guess we have to destroy our Beatles yep. records. And then Friday, March twenty first, nineteen sixty nine, Ali. Dai, an Iranian soccer football forward and a national team member, and 149 matches was born in Ardabil. Why are you bringing that up? <laughs> Just to get a rise out of you. Ugh. Saturday, March 22nd, 1969. Now, bear with me. No, wait a minute. What's my date? 24th of March. Okay. Saturday, March 22nd, 1969, dude. The UCLA Bruins defeated the Purdue Boilermakers 92-72 to to win their third consecutive NCAA basketball championship. UCLA's Lou Alcindor, who would later change his name to? I don't know. Magic Johnson? <laughs> no. I don't know. No. No, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, okay. It was Lou Alcindor. Uh, he scored 37 points in his final college game. The game was played at 2 in the afternoon at Freedom Hall in Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, and was only close for the first four minutes when Purdue enjoyed a brief 4-2 lead. The high scorer for Purdue with 28 points was Rick Mount. <laughs> a guy named Rick Mount. Yep. That guy, guy. should have changed his name. Boom! He was going to, word, word is that Rick Mount was going to change his name, but... Mm-hmm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the name he wanted. It was already taken. So he just stuck with Rick Mount. That's right. There's no other option. Rick Mount. I mounted Rick Mount's mom last night. Boom. Just kidding. On Sunday, March 23rd, I didn't actually mount anyone's mom last night. All right. 23rd of uh, March, 1969 was a Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. In a reaction to the earlier controversy over Jim Morrison's conduct during the earlier concert by the Doors, mm-hmm. a group of 30,000 people gathered at the Orange Bowl Stadium in Miami for a rally for decency organized by teenagers. 
Jeez. Celebrity guests included Jackie Gleason, Anita Bryant, and the pop rock group The Letterman. <laughs> that same day, Charles Manson made an unexpected visit to 10050 Cielo Drive, mm-hmm. the California home rented by film director Roman Polanski yeah. and his wife, actress Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. Not Sharon Box, Sharon Tate. Manson was searching for the previous resident, record producer. Oh, um, uh, the Beach Boys guy. Terry Melcher. Yeah, Terry Melcher. From whom he had tried to obtain a musical recording contract. On August 8th, not knowing Melcher's new location, but having learned that the house at Benedict Canyon was occupied by celebrities, Manson would direct a group of his followers to travel to the house and murder everyone there. We'll talk about it. We'll get oh, into it. And we'll get to this? We'll get to that. Okay. I didn't know any of this. I don't know. I really don't know much about the Charles Manson You thing. will find out. You've made me watch probably 17 different things I about know. it. And I just, I try to auto-eradicate, uh, auto-asphyxiate myself. Is that what it's? What? auto What's the thing where you try to put a bag over your head and suffocate? <laughs> Autoerotic asphyxiation? Yeah, autoerotic asphyxiate myself. I keep trying to do that every time you make me watch a murder <laughs> show. <laughs> All right. So I don't pay attention. So I'll stop there. I won't say anything Yeah, more. they don't have to say anything And more. that brings us to Monday, March 24th, 1969, where you're going to go in depth on this Charles Manson thing, right? No, it's not Charles Manson. Oh, We're not, not. going to talk about that till August. Oh, even though this happened. This was just a preview. The murders happened in August. Oh, so this is a preview. He was just, ch- ch- you know, like casing Sniffing the around, joint. and he, yeah. he found, he stumbled onto some yeah. celebrities. That's right. All right, that brings us to Monday, March 24th, 1969, and Amy is going to tell us something uh, that happened the same day that Then Came Bronson was on NBC, mm-hmm. and while Tony Curtis was on Laugh-In that well, night. Well, okay, first of all. Oh, boy. I just want to say that... It was hard to find like a a date, like a, an event that was significant. I mean, I have this date in my research, but it's in the middle somewhere, and it's not like the beginning or the ending of this event. Okay, it's, it's, I'm sure nobody cares about that. That's what I figure. So nobody, nobody even listens. So I'm gonna tell the story. I mean, of the people that do listen, they half listen. They're yeah. they're doing other things. They're they're usually knitting whack, or whacking off. Some are whacking off. Some are painting fo- pictures. Some are making decoupage. Sweaters, decoupage. Some are sweaters. making um, paper mache. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to tell the story of the Ypsilanti Ripper. I think it's Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti Ripper. They say Ypsilanti. That's the Y right. is like a silent kind of, but Ip. You still say Ip, but anyway, the okay. Ypsilanti Ripper. I feel like we already talked about it. it no. from Ypsilanti that killed people, didn't we? No. So oh, okay. we talked about Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, and this guy's also Kemper. sometimes called the co-ed killer, too. Oh, so there's two co-ed, co-ed killers. Killer. So this is not to be confused with Ed Kemper, the most famous co-ed, co-ed killer, killer that we already covered on episode Enter Later. <laughs> uh, but now this is a different one. This guy's name is what? We'll get there. Oh, okay. We'll get there. We're not ready. His name's John Norman Collins. John Norman Collins. So um, there was a... I'm going to start. This is an article by Catherine Ramslin. A body found yesterday afternoon in the Superior Township Farm was tentatively identified as that of a 19-year-old Eastern Michigan University co-ed who disappeared without a trace July 9th. Oh. 
So this so disappeared on July 9th of 1969? Report, no, I'll tell oh, you. Okay. This, re- this report in the Ann Arbor News on Tuesday, August 8th, 1967. Oh, August 8th, 1967. Mm-hmm. The same day that American actress and professional wrestler Sable was born in Jacksonville, Florida as Rena Marlette Greek. Mm-hmm. She's, she was super hot. So this report described the first of a string of co-ed murders in the Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor area okay. of Michigan over the next now, two years. Okay, gotcha. Ann Arbor, a lot of people know this, and some may not, that Ann Arbor is the home of the great Michigan Wolverines, the most winningest football team in college football history. The, the body was that of Mary Flezer, 19. Mary Flezer? Flezer. Okay who was last seen by a roommate when she left their apartment near the university campus to go for a walk. Oh, never go for a walk. She had not taken her purse, but her car keys were gone, and her car was parked across from where she normally left it, which made her mother worried. No, no. Half an hour after she left the apartment, a university officer had spotted her walking alone. Now, these university officers have never been very helpful. Later, a man sitting on his porch who knew her saw her walking toward her apartment, and then he saw a young man driving by in a bluish-gray Chevy, and he stopped beside her, opened his window to talk to her, and he couldn't hear what they were saying, but he saw her shake her head and start to walk, and then the guy pulled up front next to her again, was trying to talk to her, and she shook her head again, and she kept walking. Oh, no. He should have intervened at that point. And then... um, In hindsight... Then he saw her kind of get closer to her building, and then he, he lost okay. sight of her. Yeah, uh, um, and, but he did not see the car return. But he was the the last person to see her alive. Oh no, poor fella! That had to be hard for him. He probably yep. tormented himself. The body was found by two fifteen-year-old boys. Two hundred fifteen-pound boys. Two fifteen-year-old boys. Oh, two fifteen-year-old boys. They were okay. working at a f- at the farm, preparing to plow a field, when they heard a car door slam. So then they thought they might witness a pair of lovers in some clandestine oh yeah so they stopped what they were doing and we're gonna watch this yes so um they went over to where they had heard the sound which was near the foundation of a former farmhouse in silo it was like a kind of a dumping site and a lover's lane combined okay so the car door slammed again and the engine turned over but by the time they reached the area the car was gone because there's nowhere you want to make out more than a dumping site right they but noticed they didn't see fresh tire tracks in the weeds and followed the tire tracks for about 20 feet, and they started smelling something. Uh-oh. Then they spotted this blackish-brown object with leathery skin, Ooh. which they initially took to be a deer in an advanced state of decomposition. Yeah, they assume. Like, nobody's going to drop out a person. It's got to be a deer. Right. Flies and bugs crawled all over Ugh. it. The, it appeared to have a head, but it was rotten and shapeless. Oh, then, rotten and shapeless head? Kind of yeah. like mine. <laughs> Hey. Then one of them noticed that the ear looked human, so they Ooh. took off. That's a deer with a human ear. And str- <laughs> and drove straight to Ypsilanti po- post of the state police. Okay. So the responding officers immediately recognized the body as human. Okay. It was nude. Are, those are, um, they have, everybody knows in Ypsilanti they have expert human uh, determining cops that can determine if someone's a human or not. Yeah. So it was nude, lying right. on its side, nude. face down. Uh, one forearm and hand, and the fingers of the other hand were missing. Oh, what? What? 
Both Why? feet had been severed at the ankles. Gosh. It was not clear at first whether the victim was male or female. Oh, the medical man. examiner estimated the victim had been dead approximately one month, and she was oh. quickly identified with medical records as the missing co-ed. Oh. The farm was located approximately three miles from the apartment where Flezer lived. The autopsy found evidence that she had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest approximately 30 times. Oh, that would hurt. And 20 of those punctures had been inflicted by a knife or other sharp object. The lower leg bones had been smashed just above the ankles. Ugh. It also appeared she'd been brutally beaten. Yikes, enough already. Why would you hurt this poor girl? Detectives who examined the crime scene said the body had been moved at least three times, possibly by animals or possibly by the killer, who apparently had returned at least once. <sighs> A leather and plastic sandal found at the scene was identified by Flezer's mother as belonging to her. Mm. Um, the remains of Mary Flezer were transported to a funeral home. And then just before the funeral, there was a report that a young man in a bluish gray Chevy had visited, claimed to be a friend oh, no. of the family. He wanted to take a picture of the body. Oh, And no. they told him, no way. No and way, he, you weirdo. And then he left. Get out of here. And then... We don't want to see you or talk to you ever again, and please don't give us your license plate number. After he left, they realized he didn't even have a camera. Can I take a picture with my invisible camera? With my wiener? The so, Flezzers said they didn't know who he was. They said there's no friend of the family that matches oh that description. No. no one could describe him they in any helpful way. They could have had him right then and there. And the, he didn't. they looked for him at the burial in the cemetery, but he didn't show up. You know. Um, so then... So then it was almost a year before the okay. next body. Oh, really? A whole year? So the guy... Yeah. So in in total, John Norman Collins was implicated in 15 murders. But only the first seven on the list are officially considered his. Oh, my gosh. Numbers eight and nine are very likely his. And so he might even have more that we don't even know right. about. Characteristic of all his murders were strangulation. Wait, what's the guy's name? John Norman Collins. John Norman Collins. How come now? How come he's not famous? If he's got all this, a big body count, right? I know right? it is. How come he's not know. as famous as all the other ones? I don't know. But his characteristics of his murders were strangulation, beating about the head, articles of clothing missing, nude or semi-nude bodies, evidence of sexual assault, and disposal of bodies to ensure discovery. So he would leave them where pl- people would he find them quickly. He wants people to find them. Most of the girls had long brown hair and pierced ears, and several were having their periods, which was a weird... How would he know that, though? Well, they... I don't know. Well, maybe he... Maybe that enrages him. Maybe he's... What? Maybe he picks up girls and rapes them, and then if he finds out they're on their periods, he kills them, and that's why they all are on their period when they're found dead or something. Oh, so he might have raped other people? That's what I'm saying. Oh. Maybe. So this I don't see again. I, I know I say this all the time. I but know. Why would you choose to listen to these things? Like you could watch Cheers. All right, all just right. shush. All right, I'll shut up. Okay, so Mary Flezer was the first one. Right. The second murder was Joan Shell. She was twenty from Plymouth, Michigan. She was an art major Joan at Shell. Eastern Michigan University. Oh, EMU. On June thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight. Deputy pilots. Oh, what? Uh, sorry, what day? I'm sorry. June thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight. That on that uh, night, the sum, uh, smoth, the they had the summer Smothers Brothers show. That's hard to say. A special, a summertime special for the Smothers Brothers with Flip Wilson, Jerry Stiller, and Ann Mira, and Teddy Neely. That was on. Yep. Okay. That same day. So she was. Well, that was gone on. She was hitchhiking in front of the EMU student. Union around 10.30 p.m. She probably was trying to hurry, get home, and see Flip Wilson. Like, I know Flip Wilson's going to be on that show. She was found a week later outside Ann Arbor. She had been sexually molested. Her (sighs) throat was slashed, and she'd been stabbed five times. 
Gross. She was killed elsewhere and dumped there. Her miniskirt was twisted around her neck. She was seen getting into a car with three young men in it. Three young There's men. There's three, huh? yeah. Huh. Then the next, the third one was Jane Mixer, who was 23, of Muskegon, Michigan. Okay. She was a freshman law student at the University of Michigan. She was supposed to meet a David Johnson to get a ride home on March 20th, 1968. March 20th, 1968. She was going to get a ride home the same day that on Green Acres, it's planting season in Hooterville, but Oliver doesn't know what to grow. After testing the soil, he discovers Hooterville is perfect for growing rutabagas. Yes. That same day? She was found the next day in a cemetery in Denton Township. She'd been shot twice in the head with a twenty two caliber gun. She's she getting a- shot while people are watching rutabagas being gro- uh, yep. planted on Green Acres. She was also killed elsewhere, and a stocking was twisted around her neck. Wow. Huh. Okay. Then there was Mary Skelton, who was 16, of Romulus, Michigan. She Romulus. Was, she was a high school dropout known to run with a bad crowd. She was last seen hitchhiking in front of Arborland Shopping Center on March 24, 1969. Oh, oh! That's the day in question. That's the same day that, uh, on that show I was telling you about, then came Bronson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that series features Michael Parks as the protagonist, James Jim Bronson, a newspaper man who becomes disillusioned after the suicide of his best friend Nick, played by Martin Sheen, and with working for the man after a heated argument with his editor. Okay. And in order to renew his soul, Bronson becomes a vagabond, searching for the meaning of life and seeking experiences that life has to offer, as revealed in the series pilot. During his travels, he shares his values with the people he meets along the way and whom he lends a helping hand when possible. He rides a Harley Davidson and uh, was viewed as some by a modern version of the solitary cowboy wandering the American West. The same night that was on? Yes. She was found the next day <laughs> near Glacier Way and Earhart Roads. Her oh. skull was cracked in three places, and Jeez. she'd been whipped with a belt and sexually molested. She was killed elsewhere and dumped there. Man. A garter belt was wrapped around her neck. A garter belt? Mm-hmm. Then Dawn Bessum, 13, of Ypsilanti, oh, Michigan. Oh, no. Children? She was leaving a house near the EMU campus to go home on April 15th, 1969. <sighs> oh, same day on the Doris Day show, a tame tiger escapes from its owner and winds up in Doris's house, and Doris plans to take it back to its owner, but the tiger escapes again, and Doris and Leroy set out to find it before it's tracked down and shot by hunters. Yes. That same day. She was found the next day. She had been strangled with a black electrical wire and stabbed in several places. <sighs> she was killed elsewhere, possibly in a deserted farmhouse where items of her clothing were found. You're not supposed to murder children. She was an eighth-grade student, the youngest of the victims. Are you effing kidding me? Yep. I don't like this guy. Then number six was Alice Calum of Portage, Michigan. Oh, my gosh. She was a University of Michigan graduate in fine arts, enrolled in grad school on June 7th, 1969. Oh, the same day that the long-awaited debut of Eric Clapton and Steve, Steve Winwood performing together in the short-lived supergroup Blind Faith took place in front of 100,000 people in London's Hyde Park. That yes. same day? She went to a party at the Depot House in Ann Arbor and was seen dancing with a young man with long hair. Okay. Her body was found That's near an abandoned hair. barn. She oh. had been shot once in the head and stabbed twice in the chest as well as raped. She was killed elsewhere, and her clothing were scattered around her body. Her you, shoes were missing. You know, this one I blame on the people who abandoned that barn. And then number seven is Karen Sue Bynaman, 18, of Grand Rapids, Michigan. She was an EMU freshman attending summer classes. She had just sent a note to her parents assuring them she would be careful, but that 
then accepted a ride on a motorcycle from from a man she didn't know. She was last seen on July 23rd, 1969. Oh, the same day that Americans in several groups were permitted to travel to the People's Republic of China for the first time in almost 20 years. Two days after President Nixon, U.S. Secretary of State William P. Rogers had announced a change in policy. Mm -hmm. She was leaving a wig shop to go with this guy on this motorcycle. And then she sort of stayed at the wig shop. She was later found strangled in a ravine in Ann Arbor. Oh, man. Um, Roxy Phillips, 17, was number eight. Oh, no. She w- disappeared Roxy Phillips. on June 30th, 1969. Wait. She disappeared the same day that Sanath J. Zuria, a Sri Lankan cricket star, was born? I just realized these aren't <laughs> in order. Oh, well. Um, yes. She disappeared. She was going out to mail a letter and meet a friend. And she was found. Oh, I see. Because she was found. Well, Never mail a letter and meet a friend. She was found on July 13th. You're doomed. In Pescadero Canyon, just north of Carmel, by a pair of boys looking for fossils. So you should never probably go look for fossils. Never look for fossils. You'll always find a dead body. She was so. She was badly decomposed and nude, except for a pair of sandals and a red and white cotton belt wrapped tightly around her neck. The body had to be carried to where it lay amidst poison oak, and then some of her possessions were found strewn along Route 68. You know, how, why uh, does po- how come poison oak doesn't get as much fear in some people as poison ivy? I don't ivy? think it's as common. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just tired of people knocking poison oak. A friend of hers had mentioned having met a John driving a silver Oldsmobile who was go- going to college in Michigan and who rode motorcycles. She didn't think Roxy knew him, but she did admit she had met him while he was cruising near Roxy's house. John, huh? And she remembered his name because yes. it, so it's, it's starting same as to a come toilet. clear. Um, number nine is Eileen Adams of Toledo, Ohio. Toledo, that's where I'm from. Eileen Adams, I yes. probably knew her. She was kidnapped in December 1967 and found in January south of Ypsilanti, raped, strangled with an electrical cord, and stuffed in a sack. Poor lady, poor Toledo in. Like another victim, her bra was out. tied around her neck. She Pouring was out. cruelly beaten with a hammer, and a three-inch nail was driven into her skull. You know what? That's where I draw the line. You don't fuck with Toledoans. You don't fuck with Toledoans. You can you can kill eight other women and a child, but once you fuck with Toledo, you fucked with me, bro. I'm gonna find this guy, and I'm gonna stop these murders. So there was all the, in all of these cases, there were geographic similarities. Okay. Several yeah, of the victims lived near the EMU campus or disappeared from there. Okay. Many were students. Which yep. indicated that he prowled the campuses. Uh, Six of the seven bodies were found in rural areas between oh, Ann Arbor job. and Ypsilanti. Oh, good. Good job. And five body dump sites formed a tight circle. Only five Jane Mixer's bo- body was found outside the area. Five so body dump places formed a tight circle. Yes. The five dump sites close together indicate that he traveled this way back and forth and knew the area well. Okay. In fact, one obvious murder site, an abandoned farmhouse, showed evidence of at least two of the victims having been killed there, and oh possibly man. more. Oh, my Because you know how they all were killed elsewhere. Yeah. The killer they left the place. most of the bodies out in the open, in Lover's Lane type areas, yep. where they would be discovered fairly easily. So um, this is all southeast Michigan and northwest Ohio. All right? except for Mary Flesser, who was in the weeds for a month before she was yeah, discovered. Right, right. Um, however, Collins returned and apparently moved her around as if to make discovery easier. Huh. She was dumped 150 feet from a road. Joan Shell appears to have been stored in some kind of root cellar, perhaps the farm site, before being dumped 12 feet from the road and covered with grass. Huh. After that, he'd never made any effort as if he wanted the bodies to be found. Yeah, now he's just... Uh, he's yeah. Brazen, as they 
become. So between three witnesses from the, so when Karen Sue Bynuman went that to that wig shop. Yeah, the wig shop. So one. there were three witnesses from the area of the wig shop. They made a composite sketch. Okay. And they of the weirdo that was creeping around the wig shop. And they put it in the paper. And then one person who worked at an office supply was sure that the man had been riding a Triumph motorcycle. So at the same time that this is going on, yeah. a young policeman named Larry Mathewson was putting together a profile. Larry Mathewson is going to save the day, so I don't have to, even though I'm a fellow Toledoan. So he was acquainted with John Norman Collins. Oh, he knew the guy, who huh? Had, who had already been questioned during the second murder investigation. Oh, sh- oh he was questioned? Yeah, for oh, the second shit. murder investigation. He had seen Collins cruising around that day. Yeah. So borrowing a photo of him from a former girlfriend who also said she'd seen Collins driving around the campus. Oh, took it to the bottom of it. Took the picture to Sorry. the girl who had noticed the make of the motorcycle, and she right away said, yeah, that's yep, him. Yep, that's him. So he decides he's going to investigate Collins. He's a creepy weirdo. Um, but he was inexperienced with murderers. Oh. And his unexpected visit gave Collins the opportunity to hide any evidence he had in his possession. Oh. Collins' housemate, Arnold Davis, recalled that he had taken a box covered with a blanket out of his room. As Davis opened the door for him, he spotted a woman's shoe, rolled up jeans, and a handbag inside the box. Boom. Collins later returned without the box and said he'd gotten rid of it. Incriminating. He was put under surveillance, but no one could stop him from thoroughly cleaning out his car. Incriminate much? At the same time, police corporal David Like, yeah? who was Collins's uncle. Oh, I like where this is going. <laughs> he returned home from vacation with his wife and three sons. Oh, where did they go on vacation? I don't know. Was his, it a nice vacation? His wife noticed patches of black paint on the concrete floor of their basement. That's not a normal thing. They had left their home in charge of their nephew. Oh, maybe he was painting some uh, Wondered projects. what he had been doing there. Like noticed that a can of paint that he had left in the basement was gone. His wife said Storm that a box of detergent and, and a bottle of ammonia were also missing. Uh-oh, now it's starting to add up. So soon they learn that their nephew was the prime suspect Uh-oh. in the co-ed murders or the Ypsilanti murders. Like was incredulous at first, but when he heard that Collins had agreed to take a lie detector test and then he had backed down, he acknowledged that there's something wrong. Something's going on. He went into his basement and scraped up some of the paint, finding yeah. a stain that looked like blood. Uh-oh. Immediately, he called in some lab analysts. The stain turned out to be varnish, but suspiciously, Collins had called to ask if they had found out anything about it. He called the analysts? He, he called Leek and asked him. Oh. When, when Leek later told Collins that it was just varnish, Collins inexplicably began to cry. Oh. Leek recalled that he had used varnish on some shutters, but that did not explain why someone had covered it up with paint. Yeah, you don't varnish shutters. Everybody knows that. So as the lab, everybody knows as that. the lab experts are crawling around the floor of this basement, the lab analysts, one of them notices um, hair clippings uh, near oh. the washing machine, and what? And it, Leek explained that his wife had cut their children's hair down there. Oh, so that explains but it. It's the same kind of hair they found on. Um, Karen Bynum's panties. They had found this. Those this, kids' like, hair from yeah, the haircuts? Yeah. Oh, so, that's, so that oh. was like from the basement floor. Yeah, so that's telling. Yeah, he did. Oh. So then they noticed tiny droplets that looked like blood, and then when tested, it did indeed prove to be human blood. I think I'm more grossed out that that kid's hair is anywhere than yeah, the blood and the murders. When later tests revealed the bloodstains were human and that the hairs could be consistent with those on the panties, Collins was arrested yeah. just as his attorney was taking him away from interrogations. Another five minutes, and he might have been able to bolt. 
Although his Usain Bolt. Although his car had been thir- thoroughly cleaned, blood matching Alice Kalem's type was found near the front seat. A red and white piece of cl- cotton fabric was also pulled out, and that was found to match the belt around the throat of a 17-year-old female yep. murdered in June in California. We got him. He's caught. He's done. So they search his room. It doesn't. They don't turn up any more evidence except for what the roommate was telling him about that box that he saw him leave with. Uh, the roommate also said that Collins was a thief who ran his four motorcycles off stolen parts, and one of the bikes had recently been stolen. He'd been committing burglaries with a former roommate. Um, really? He's been doing all this stuff in mm-hmm. addition to the murders and the rapes? Collins's trial began on June 30th, 1970. Oh, his trial started the same day. It was a Tuesday. The same day that Riverfront Stadium opened in Cincinnati as a dual-purpose stadium for the Reds baseball team and the Bengals NFL team in the inaugural event that the Reds lost to the Braves 8-2 to two that same day? Yes. Wow. And, and uh, witness selection took nearly two weeks. Uh, the prosecutor focused only on the murder of Karen Sue Bynaman because that was the one with the most physical evidence. They had all that, yeah. And they sure. didn't want to char- try to put them all into one because that would be harder to prove them all. And yeah, if you can't Michael prove them free. all, then he's not... Uh. So evidence was heard starting on July 20th. There was little rebuttal of Collins out cruising that day. Seven young women had been approached by him on his motorcycle. Creepo. Time of death was also resistant to challenge. Key witnesses were... It was also resistant to water. Key witnesses were the wig shop owner, an employee from the Chocolate House, and the office supply girl. Chocolate House, y'all. And they all said it was Collins that had picked up Bynaman. Okay. And then the, the roommate also testified about the box. Yep. Former girlfriend spoke about the motorcycle he owned... Um, there had to be some people that just said he's all fucking weirdo. In all 57 weirdo. witnesses were called. Wow. 57? Yep. Holy shit. 17 days of testimony. It was the physical days. evidence that ultimately nailed him. All right. So the blood found in the basement yep. and the hair. Yep. On August 19th, 1970. Oh, the same day that for the first time in the 170-year history of the presidential residence in Washington, D.C., the American flag over the White House was flown at nighttime rather than being lowered in sunset. The change in protocol that occurred after U.S. First Lady Pat Nixon had learned that it was proper under flag etiquette to fly the banner after dark if it was illuminated by a spotlight. That That same day? Yep. After deliberating for three days, the jury said guilty of first-degree murder. Wait, they said guilty of first-degree murder also the same day that Fat Joe was born? Yes. The rapper? All right. Okay. Um. (laughs) Collins denied ever knowing Karen Sue Bynaman and claimed that he was innocent of her murder. He probably didn't know her. He was sentenced to life in prison. He went through three appeals and even changed his name to Chapman to get a transfer to Canada where he would have been eligible for parole in 1985. He also tried to escape by tunneling out of the prison. Really? As of 1999, he's still incarcerated in northern Michigan. He is? As of 1999, obviously. What years are now? Uh, Oh, it's 2020. He could be dead. He could be dead. The murders of the other six girls remains unoffic- uh, uh, remains un- officially unsolved, but they're him. There's all kinds of people that came out and said that when he was younger, like girls would say that they he was aggressive and that he would fly off the handle and he was erratic and he was oh, like really? psychopath. He was like sci- a psycho. Anyway, that was. Uh that was a yep. lot. That was a lot. He did a lot of things. I'm surprised he's not more famous, especially that he still claims he's innocent. Like I would well, think of somebody with right. that that count and still alive in jail. You would think they would finally say, all right. Or there'd be more shows about I mean, there was quite a bit, but yeah. we've never heard of them. But, like, you know, you hear about all these people, all these movies now that pop 
yeah. culture, and this is so popular, is murder. So, anyway, well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I will smoke the hell out of that, out of my pipe. I'll smoke that murder in my pipe. Yep. And I got a couple more days left in March. We'll finish those, and then All right, we'll call this an episode. Sounds good. All right. Uh, March 25th, 1969 was a Tuesday. And then March 26th, 1969 was a Wednesday. Uh, Frustrated by the rejections from publishers, John Kennedy Toole killed himself at the age of 31 without knowing that his novel, A Confederacy of Dunces, would be printed in the future and would become a bestseller and Pulitzer Prize winner for fiction. Such a good book. Tool drove to Biloxi, Mississippi, parked his car, and connected a garden hose of exhaust pipe for death by carbon monoxide poisoning. Yep. You That's knew that sad. and he killed yeah. himself and he didn't even his know? His mom His mom got it published. I think you made me read that, right? It's really good. A Confederacy of Dunces. What's that about? It's about, oh, what's the guy's name? Oh, wait a minute. That guy, that goofy looking yeah. fat guy, right? Yeah. And there's like pick drawings mm-hmm. or something in it? Yep. That's a great book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy yeah, like the lives with name? his mom or something. Yeah, is what's that right? the guy's name? It's like Cliff Clavin. I can't remember, but well, look it up really quick. Uh, Confederacy of Dunces. The main character's name yeah, is something. I read real. that book. That's a great book. Mm-hmm. If you if you like books, I and I don't read books. No, you much. don't. Ignatius J. Riley. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's a really good book. That's sad that he killed himself without knowing anybody liked his book. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday, March 27, 1969, Dick Smothers, co-producer of the popular but controversial CBS show, The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, was sent a telegram by CBS President Robert Wood warning that action would be taken if Dick and Tommy Smothers continued to avoid network attempts to review advanced videotapes of the episodes prior to broadcast. Oh, censorship. Yep, censorship. They were That was too raunchy of a show. For that same day, uh, uh, Mariah Carey was born. And then Friday, March 28, 1969, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the 34th President of the United States from 1953 to 1961, and U.S. Army General who commanded the Supreme Headquarters Allied Expeditionary Force, Expeditionary Force during World War II, died at 12.25 in the afternoon at the Walter Reed Army Hospital in Washington, D.C. He was, guess how old he was? Eisenhower? Yeah. Oh, was he 74? 78. Duh. No, it was pretty close. Yeah, it was pretty close. I can't believe it. I can't believe you even guessed. Uh, Sunday, March 30th, 1969, the Allman Brothers Band, formed by brothers Dwayne Allman and Greg Allman, along with Dickie Betts, Barry Oakley, Butch Trucks, Butch Trucks, and... Butch Trucks. Butch. His name is Butch Trucks, but... (laughs) You would call him Butch. My brother likes to say Butch, so I started saying Butch. Butch Trucks <laughs> and J-Mo Johansson played their very first concert, making their debut as the Jack- at the Jacksonville Armory in Florida. Dwayne Allman would be killed in a motorcycle accident less than three years later in 1971. And that's the same day Eisenhower was mm-hmm. laid to rest. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, brought to lie in the state capitol. March 31st, 1969 was a Monday, and Kurt Vonnegut's novel Slaughterhouse-Five was first published by the oh, Delacorte Press. That's a good one, too. Yeah, you love that? That's a good one. You want to, uh, the rest of the episode, do you want to read it out loud? I don't think that's necessary. Okay, well, then that ends the episode, since Amy right. refuses to read to our great listeners. 
Was... I love you, listeners. Amy has contempt for you, apparently. But thank you for listening. Sorry we took a week off. Shit happens. Yeah, we just kind of got away from us. We actually, our podcast studio was filled with furniture. That's right. So. Now it's not. Oh, now it's America. not. And we're going to keep podcasting until we That's right. And it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. Thanks for listening. American Timelines is brought to you by History for Jerks, the greatest couple of lovers in history. It's weird. The greatest middle-aged not just me. I love you. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Talk about pork.